Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. Good morning to those who I have not said good morning to. It's nice to see you. Yeah. So last time that I had the opportunity to preach, I shared on how Jesus is the last and perfect revelation of God, man, from Hebrews, Hebrews 1, and we looked at God's nature. We saw that God is love, that love is the very essence of God. Man. If you were to take love out of God, then there would be no more God, if you would be able. Man. Like with this, this pulpit, if you, were, if you were able to take out the wood out of the pulpit, what would be there? Nothing. Nothing, man. That's just like it is with God. We cannot separate God from love because that is what He is. And we also talked about how we can know the love of God. Okay, The Bible says in Ephesians 3 that we can fully comprehend the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Okay, The scripture there was talking about head knowledge. Okay, Intellectual knowledge. We can experience His love and regardless of if there was an emotion or not, that experience will make our faith to grow. Yeah? And our trust in Him will increase. We also talked about how we should not separate the Father and the Son. Many times in our minds we separate the Father, we see Him as cold and distant and far, while we see Jesus as the loving one that came to, get, to give His life to us and died for us. And, and that's not true. The Bible says that God was in Christ. God the Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself. Amen. Okay? So the heart, the intention, the, the, the desire, uh, the passion of the Father and the Son was exactly the same. Because they are one. No? And that was to love and have an eternal relationship with us. We also looked at how God loves His enemies. When we were sinners, God loved us. Amen. And then uh, we looked at how God loves Himself. The Father, Jesus, and the Spirit loved each other before the world even began. Okay. Before man was even created. God loved Himself. Okay? And God does not change or lie. Amen. And that God says to you, I love you. Think about that for a moment. The God that cannot lie, that has no shadow in Him, that doesn't ever change. That God says to you that I love you. So that means that we can really believe it now. I'm really excited about what I'm going to talk about today. I started out thinking that I was going to continue looking at the love of God. Um, from the angle of Jesus being our bridegroom and we His bride. And that will also be a part of the message. But as I, as I spent time with God this week, um, He took me on a, a little a little side side trip, showed me some things that I would like to add. Okay, so in John 5, we can go to John 5 verse 37. John 5 verse 37.
In John 5, we find Jesus in a heated conversation with the religious leaders of the time, as usual. Jesus always had heated conversations with the religious leaders of his time. And Jesus made the claim that he was God, or no, not that he was God, but that he was the Son of God. And um, he just broke the Sabbath when he and his disciples were walking through the through the fields, and they one of his disciples or some of them were plucking some of the wheat and they were eating it, and then the the Pharisees accused them of breaking the Sabbath. Okay, and then this is what Jesus then said, uh, John five verse thirty seven says, and the Father who sent me. As this, okay, so he, he gives a, a, a long speech there to these guys. But what I want to draw your attention to is verse 37 where he says, And the Father who sent me testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face. And you do not have his message in your hearts. Because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Okay. So there's a few points that Jesus uh, lifts out here. Or he makes a few points. The Father himself has borne witness of Jesus. What does that mean? The Father himself has witnessed about Jesus. Okay, so the first way that I think the Father witnessed about Jesus was His voice from heaven. Or one of the ways. You remember when Jesus was baptized? The Father spoke from heaven and He said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. No? So that is one of the ways that God could um, testify about Jesus being the Son of God. And then also the confirming miracles. Jesus, throughout his ministry, did a lot of miracles. And Jesus points to these miracles and says, These are witnesses that I really am who I am, that I am speaking the truth. No? And then the other way uh, that God did this um, is through the scriptures. Okay? When we see the word scriptures, we know that it is talking about the Old Testament, no? from Genesis to Malachi. Okay. So, and I think this is what, what, what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, the witness of the Father that he, he, he talks about here is the witness of the Scriptures. Okay? Um, he says in verse 37, uh, And the Father, John five thirty-seven, And the Father himself which has sent me has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape, and you have not his word abiding in you. For whom he has sent, him you believe not. So this could also be talking about John the Baptist. Okay? Because John the Baptist also, John the Baptist was a prophet. But it doesn't specify here. So I think whom Jesus is talking about here is all the prophets throughout the years. Before Jesus came. Whom he has sent, the prophets, him you believe not. Okay? Says the scriptures, for in them... You think you have eternal life. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you think that in reading the scriptures, you have eternal life. The Jews of that time had a great pride in their writings. Okay? They, had to, they had to make the word, they had to make word for word copies. 
In that time, they didn't have photostat machines there. What do you call it? Photocopy machines. That you can just put a, a document there and then press a button and uh, hundreds of copies can come out. The Jews had to write and copy the Word of God word for word. Okay, it, in that time it was like a job. Um, and the guys that, that did this job was called the scribes. They seemed to believe that writing and reading and preserving yeah, uh, and living according to the scriptures and keeping the law yeah, not that anyone can keep the law is that is they believe that that is what, what gave them eternal life. Okay, They believed that what saved them was who they were according to the flesh. They were Jews. They were Abraham's children. They believed that who they were, their heritage, um, and the scriptures that they had, that they were God's people, they believed that that is what saved them. Okay, It's like having a Bible, but you believe that you are a Christian because your parents were Christians. That's kind of the same thing. You, your parents were Christians, so now you think, okay, I'm a Christian too. Even though you have the Bible that tells you that that's not the truth, okay? <laughs> I mean, that's just silly to think that you, you are Christian and you, you, you are saved just because your parents are, okay? But Jesus says clearly, the Scriptures point to? To who does the Scriptures point to? Jesus. Jesus. And the Scriptures are what? What portion of the Bible? Old Testament. The Old Testament, no? Eh? From Genesis to Malachi. So all of those scriptures point to? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. I know it's cold in here, but you, you guys don't look like you are frozen. No? It's not that cold here. So I want to hear some voices. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should stand up and do some exercise or some, some jumping jacks. Huh? Should we do some jumping jacks? Yeah. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> I wish you knew that actually. Remember the Bible school? Stretch. Just a stretch. No. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> okay. So Jesus says to them in John 5, verse 38, You do not have his word abiding in you. He's telling the Pharisees, these proud Pharisees, they have all the, these scrolls, they have a whole building full of documents that has the Old Testament in it that they write word for word, and he says to them, you don't have his word abiding in you. Okay. The Greek word for the word, word, the, he says you don't have the word in you, the word for word in Greek is logos, of logos. Okay. And it means what someone has said, the sayings of God, the moral precepts given by God, so that's referring to the law. The Old Testament prophecies given by the prophets. So, so they had the written word of God on paper and on scrolls, like I just said. And they were very proud of that. But they did not have it in their hearts. Okay? They were not looking for God. They thought that to have eternal life is just to read it. To read it and to know it and to memorize it. But that's not what, how we get eternal life. Amen? How do we get eternal life? We receive Jesus and we believe. Ne? They had to believe the scriptures. But Jesus tells them, you don't believe the scriptures. It's not in your heart. Okay? They were reading and memorizing scripture, but their hearts were not seeking God in the scriptures. 
The Old Testament testifies about Jesus, the giver of life. It does not have life or give life. It points to the life giver, which is Jesus. Amen? Okay. So, I want to move from there and say that the word is enough. Okay? The word that we have is enough. Go to Luke 24 in your Bible. Luke 24. Luke 24. Verse. I'll say you the verse now. 24 verse 13. Okay, so here we find the story of... Um, it's after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus just stood up from the grave. He, he became alive again. He stood out from the grave. And um, so his disciples are walking to to Emmaus. It's the place his name is called Emmaus. It's a small town outside of Jerusalem. And we read from verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. How Jesus died, man. Eh? And they talked and discussed these things. Uh, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Okay? He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. The one, then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. Verse 19. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man of Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran, to, ran out to sea and sure enough his body was gone, just as the woman had said. Verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. Listen there, no? Through all the writings and the, all the prophets, no? Writings of Moses and all the prophets. Explaining from all the scriptures, all the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. Verse 28. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, Stay the night with us, since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. 
They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, um, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Verse 35. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road, and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said, but the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are you, your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet, you can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Um, still, verse 41, They stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, When I was with you before, pay attention to this, no? When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms might be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in all the world. I think it says, hold this all on. In the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of these things, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Okay, so now we have that, that whole story now. So we find the resurrected Christ walking and talking with his disciples. Okay, in verse 19, we see what they believed about Jesus. Can someone read again for me verse 19? And he said unto them, sorry, it's reading King James. That's fine. I said unto them, what things? And they said, unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mightily indeed, and wore before God and all these people. Yeah. So, what these guys believed about Jesus was that he was a man from Nazareth. My translation says he was just a man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, a mighty teacher. They hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. So, would you say that these people were believing that Jesus is the Son of God? It doesn't sound like it, hey? They were saying he was only a prophet, he was only a powerful teacher, okay? Um, and what I see there is, is unbelief. They weren't believing that he's the son of God, no? um, as he claimed to be, but simply a man from Nazareth. Okay? And Jesus confirms it for us in verse 25. Luke 24 verse 25 says, Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. 
Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay. Why do you think God kept those guys from recognizing Jesus? Why do you think God kept them from recognizing Jesus? Because Jesus was walking with them along the road. They were talking about the scriptures. And then they say who Jesus is and it seems that they don't believe in him or who he is. Yeah? To see what was in their hearts. To see what was in their hearts, yeah, definitely. And then, but it says that God kept them from recognizing him with their eyes, with their senses. Okay, so I think God did that because they were still in unbelief. Okay, but these were some of Jesus' disciples. Okay, they knew about Jesus, they saw all the miracles he did as when he was still alive or when he was alive before he was crucified. But I think Jesus first had to have the opportunity to share the word with them. Okay? He first had to have the opportunity to show them from the scriptures who he was. Okay? Romans 10 verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing. Romans 10 verse 17. Faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Christ. Only later in verses 30 and 31 did their eyes open after hearing the word. They believed and they said, uh, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Why did their hearts burn? It wasn't because they had bread. They only had bread after Jesus. No? So it wasn't heartburn. Their hearts burned because I think faith was stirred in them. But this is so interesting. Think about this. Jesus... Uh, he prophesied that he's going to, when he was alive, he, he prophesied that he's going to get get out from the grave after three days. He's going to be crucified and all of this. And then he gets crucified. He dies and gets up after three days. What would we do if we were Jesus? No. To convince all of the people that I'm alive. What would we do? Think about that. What do you think, Emily? What would we do to yeah. convince people that Jesus is alive? Yeah, if you were Jesus, what would you do to convince them that you are alive? Show them the marks on his hands and to convince them. Yeah, show them the marks, yeah. I would do what Jesus did, actually take them to the world. Because even if he had opened their eyes and they'd seen yeah. the flesh, they could be like, oh, did we really see it? But if you see it in the world, yeah. then you're not going to be shaken. Then it's not something to be brushed off later on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's exactly as you say. You gave the right answer. <laughs> I, if I was Jesus, I would have walked down the street and I would say, Hello, I told you so. I'm still alive, you see. Hello. Look at the hands. Look at the feet. I'm still alive. Or oh, I, I woke up from the dead. Yeah. Without recognition. So yeah. it's not exactly physically the same. 
Yeah. But he wants actually to recognize him not on the physical, but in the spirit. In the spirit. And that's yeah. very, very important to grow up from that want to see the flesh, yeah. but want to see the spirit. Yeah. So what I think here yeah, is that Jesus or God wanted to give Jesus because it says that um, God kept them from recognizing him. No? He wanted to give Jesus the opportunity to share the word. To, sh to show them from the scriptures, from Moses, from the prophets, from the Psalms, that he rose from the dead. And he wanted them to believe the scriptures because why? It says in Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes from hearing. Hearing the good news about Christ. It's like, like you guys said now, if they first saw him with their senses, if they touched him, if they saw him, if they, they smelled him, if they, you know, all of that then it would have been, like, like Rita said, they would have soon, soon forgotten. Think about uh, the Israelites in the desert. Think about all of the wonders that they saw. They saw all the ten plagues destroy Egypt. No? Then they went out of Egypt and they walked through the sea. And all of that miracles, what did they go and do? They forgot about it. They built a golden calf and they said, this is what brought us out of Egypt. So miracles and signs and stuff, um, even seeing it with your own eyes, it didn't build faith in them. It didn't awaken faith. It didn't stir faith. The only thing that stirs faith in our hearts is the Word of God. Amen. And think about it. This is Jesus. Jesus had to use the word. He had to use scriptures to point to himself. What makes us think that we can just, you know, just talk about it? Mm. What makes us that we, we, we sometimes think, if only I can pray for this person and he can be healed, then people will believe. If only this miracle could happen, or that miracle could happen, then if people would believe. No, it's through the preaching of the word. Okay. <coughs> yeah, Jesus said even if someone would rise from the dead and Lazarus rose, he rose Lazarus from the dead. No? And still those the hearts of those Pharisees were so hardened. No? They didn't believe. No one believed. Even though a man. That was, that's amazing. Thank you for that example. I forgot about that. And after Jesus disappeared, went back to the road of the story, no? back to the road to Emmaus. Um, after Jesus disappeared, they leave immediately to tell the eleven disciples the whole story. And then Jesus appeared to those disciples as well. Okay? It says Luke 24 verse 44. Then he said, when I was with you before... I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. So these 11 disciples, they know the word. They know the scriptures. Jesus says here, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Genesis to Malachi. And he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. In many cases, if you look at the Gospels, né? the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, um, 
Jesus did not immediately appear to, to them, to his followers. No? He appeared to them, but they couldn't recognize him. Okay? And allow them to recognize him with their senses in the natural first. In Mark, an angel first testified to Mary that Jesus was raised from the dead before she saw and recognized him with her natural senses. Even Thomas, you know, unbelieving Thomas, no? Um, is Philip okay? Could someone maybe give him a cup of water? He was coughing. Even Thomas, unbelieving Thomas, was given a chance to believe first. The others told him, we have seen the Lord. So Thomas heard. The disciples told him the good news. Eh? We have seen the Lord. So that was an opportunity for Thomas to believe. All right. Um, and later Jesus appeared. Eight days later he appeared and revealed himself to Thomas. And in John 20 verse 29, Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Huh? Okay. So Jesus didn't go walking through Jerusalem telling everybody, I told you so. He appeared only to people who knew and loved him before his death. People who believed his words. Okay? But, that, but what is important for us to realize is that the word of God that we hold in our hands is enough. Okay? We just need to show people Jesus and preach the gospel okay? for people to be saved. And what is also awesome is that if we just do that, then the supernatural will follow. But first we preach the word. And then you don't have to worry about performing miracles. God will confirm his word. Okay? He will prove and testify with miracles. Alright. Um, what I see here is that the first, the word is shared. And that stirs up and brings faith. And then the physical manifestation is seen in the natural realm. The risen Christ did not reveal himself immediately. Some teachers say that he must have looked different, like, like Philip mentioned. But I think regardless of whether he looked different or if maybe uh, Mary was crying so she didn't recognize Jesus, regardless of the circumstances, um, an opportunity was given to first believe the word before seeing him in the, in the natural. Okay, so now we're going to do something interesting. Um, we are going to now look, like Jesus, at an Old Testament story. Okay, and this was very interesting for me. It's a beautiful story that we find in Genesis 24. Genesis 24, okay, um, many of these Old Testament stories we read as children, but this is one of the stories that you did not usually, they didn't usually make it into the Bible, children's, children's books, but it's one of the best in my opinion. The story is a shadow or a type, okay, uh, it's a typology. That sounds very difficult to understand, but it's it's just a shadow, like a reflection of of something that is spiritual. You understand? 
Okay, so these people were real people living out their lives, but they were seeking God. And because they were seeking God, I believe they were knowingly and unknowingly, perhaps, choosing to follow His voice. Okay? It is actually so amazing that this event in time that is played out by people who each have their own free will is a reflection of God's bigger plan that stretches out for thousands of years. Okay? Huh? Yeah. Think about that. Because we don't believe that God is a puppet master. Eh? He didn't control Abraham and Sarah and everyone like puppets. They had their own free will. They were living their lives. And to think that something that happened in their lives is actually a symbol or a picture of something that is spiritual. Think about that. Huh? That's, that's quite interesting for me. Um, so as I read through the story, pay close attention. It is really fun to realize these things for yourself. And as I read, ask yourself, who represents who in this story? Okay. Who represents God the Father? Who represents Jesus? Who represents the Holy Spirit? And who represents us as believers? Okay. Also try to think or to link the story to the bigger picture of the biblical, biblical timeline. Okay. To what New Testament event does this story point? Alright, we start reading in um, Genesis 24. And keep those questions in mind, okay? I'm going to try and read a bit faster, because I don't want to preach all day, okay? <laughs> Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, Take an oath. By putting your hand under my thigh, swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. We are at verse 4. We, we're all there. Yeah. I advise you to read in your Bible with me. It's not going to be 100% the same, but it's good. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son Isaac. Uh, the servant asked, but... What if I can't find a young woman who is willing to travel so far from home? Should I then take Isaac there to live among your relatives in the land you came from? No, Abraham responded. Be careful never to take my son there. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants, the land of Canaan. Eh? He will send his angel ahead of you. And he will, he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. If she is unwilling to come back with you, then you are free from this oath of mine. But under no circumstances are you to take my son there. So the servant took an oath by putting his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham. He swore to follow Abraham's instructions. Then he loaded ten of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master. Um, and he traveled to distant Aram Naharim or something. I don't know how to pronounce that word. There he went to the town where Abraham's brother Nahor had settled. Um, he made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town. Could someone close that door, please? It was evening and the women were coming out to draw water. 
Oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed. This is now Abraham's servant, no? Please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I am standing here beside the spring and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with water, with a water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. Rebecca was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring filled her jug and came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, Please give me a drink of water from your jug. Yes, my lord, she answered. Give it, I, ah, sorry. Yes, my lord, she answered. Have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from the shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels too, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. The servant watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in his mission. Then at last, when the camels had finished drinking, he took out a gold ring for her nose and two large gold bracelets for her wrists. Whose daughter are you? he asked. And please tell me, would your father have any room to put, his, to put, up, put, to put us up for the night? I am the daughter of Bethuel, she replied. My grandparents are Nahor and Milcah. Yes, we have plenty of straw and feed for the camels, and we have room for guests. The man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. Praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, he said. The Lord has shown unfailing love and faithfulness to my master, for he has led me straight to my master's relatives. The young woman ran to tell her family everything that had happened. Now Rebekah had a brother named Laban, who ran out to meet the man at the spring. Um, he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and had heard Rebekah tell what the man had said. So she rushed out, rushed out to the spring, where the man was still standing beside his camels. Laban said to him, Come and stay with us, you who are blessed by the Lord. Why are you standing here outside the town when I have a room? all ready for you, and a place prepared for the camels. So the man went home with Laban, and Laban unloaded the camels, gave straw for their bedding, uh, fed them, and provided water for the man and the camel drivers to wash their feet. Then uh, food was served. But Abraham's servant said, I don't want to eat until I have told you why I have come. All right, Laban said, tell us. Okay, and then the servant tells the whole story while the steaming pots of food is standing there in front of him. Imagine this. And their mouths are watering, but the servant first has to tell his whole story. I just thought that was quite funny. And um, let's see where he finishes his story. Um, <clears throat> oh, verse 48. Then I bowed low and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham because he had led me straight to my master's niece to be his son's wife. So in those times, 
it was okay to marry certain family relatives, okay? It's not weird, it's just how it was. Um, so tell me, will you... Well, we think it's weird today. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, I'm getting off, off the point. So tell me, will you or will you not show unfailing love and faithfulness to my master? Please tell me yes or no, and then I'll know what to do next. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, the Lord has obviously brought you here, so there is nothing we can say. Here is Rebecca, take her and go. Yes, let her be the wife of your master's son, and the Lord has, as the Lord has directed. Then Abraham's servant heard their answer. He bowed, bowed low down to the ground and worshipped the Lord. Then he brought out silver and gold jewelry and clothing and presented them to Rebekah. He also gave expensive presents to her brother and mother. And then they ate their meal, and the servant and the men with him stayed there overnight. But early the next morning Abraham's servant said, Send me back to my master, but we want Rebekah to stay with us at least ten days. Her brother and mother said, Then she can go. Uh, but he said, the servant said, Don't delay me. The Lord has made my mission successful. Now send me back so I can return to my master. Well, they said, We'll call Rebecca and ask her what she thinks. So they called Rebecca and asked, Are you willing to go with this man? And she replied, Yes, I will go. So they said goodbye to Rebecca and sent her away with Abraham's servant and his men. The woman who had been Rebecca's childhood nurse went along with her. They gave her this blessing as she, she parted from them. Our sister, may you become the mother of many millions. May your descendants be strong and conquer the cities of their enemies. <clears throat> then Rebecca and her seven girls mounted the camels and followed uh, the man. So Abraham's servant took Rebekah and went on his way. Meanwhile Isaac, whose home was in the Negev, had returned from Bir Lahairoi. <laughs> One evening as he was walking and meditating in the fields. He looked up and saw the camels coming. When Rebekah looked up and saw Isaac, she quickly dismounted from her camel. Who is that man walking through the fields to meet us? She asked the servant, and he replied, It is my master. So Rebekah covered her face with her veil. Um, then the servant told Isaac everything he had done. And Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent, and she became his wife. She loved, he loved her dearly, deeply, sorry. and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. Sarah had just died before, before this story. You can read the burial and the death of Sarah. Okay, so that was a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you didn't fall asleep, eh? No. Okay, uh, so what do you what do you guys think? And I don't want the smart kids to answer the, the questions. They all are you are all smart kids, okay? <laughs> what do you guys think? Who represents who in the story and what do you think the story points to? <laughs> okay. Let me ask this, who represents, who does Abraham represent? If we think about, 
if I say this, you're going to know. If you think about God, the Father, God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who does, who does Abraham represent? God. God, no? Okay. So Abraham represents God the Father. Oops. This was so amazing for me. Did you guys see this in the as we read? Yeah. Abraham represents God the Father. Abraham was a father. He was blessed in every way and he was very rich. Isn't that like God the Father is? He had great inheritance to give to his son. His name means what does Abraham mean? Father of many nations. Yeah. No? Okay? So God is the father of everyone that believes, Jew and Gentiles alike. Not just father of the Jews. He is the father of the whole world. No? Everyone who believes. God gave Jesus a great inheritance and we share in that inheritance by faith in Jesus. Romans 8 verse 17 says, Romans 8 verse 17, And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Mm -hmm. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share in His suffering. So God has a great inheritance. Abraham had a great inheritance to give to Isaac. Okay? The kingdom of God and eternal life is our inheritance along with every spiritual blessing in heaven. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Ephesians 1 verse 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Okay? So Abraham represents the Father. Okay? So who, do, who represents Jesus? Isaac. Isaac, yeah. Well done. Smart Yeah. <laughs> so... Isaac represents the the son, eh? Jesus. Isaac represents Jesus. Okay, why do I say that? Both Isaac and Jesus was promised before their coming. Eh? Uh, when Abraham was younger, three men came to visit him. Three angels, I think, and they said that Sarah will have a son because they didn't have any children. Eh? You remember that story? Yeah. And they said they will have a son, and Sarah laughed, and that whole story. So both Jesus and Isaac was promised before their coming. If you want to write it down, it's in Genesis 18, verse 10. And then Isaac and Jesus finally appeared at the appointed time. Genesis 21, verse 1 to 3, that is. And then both were conceived and born miraculously. Sarah was, Sarah was too old to have a child, okay? So... Isaac's birth was a miraculous birth, like, just like Jesus, his birth was also a miraculous birth. He was born from a virgin, eh? from Mary. Both offered up in sacrifice by their father. You should go read the story where Abraham sacrifices Isaac. You'll see the lines between God and Jesus all the time. It's so awesome. He, uh, Abraham puts the, the firewood, he puts it on Isaac's shoulders. And that makes me think of the cross, no? Jesus bearing the cross. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Um, both was offered up in sacrifice by their father, that you can read in Genesis 22, verse 2. Both were brought back from the dead. Genesis 22, verse 2. 
both were brought back from the dead and um, both was a head of a great company to bless all people. Jesus is the head of the church where Isaac was the head of the family after Abraham. No? And both prepared a place for their bride. Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. In John 14 we read, John 14 verse 1 says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am, and you, you know the way to where I am going. So just like Isaac uh, received um, uh, Rebekah into his mother's tent, so Jesus receives us. No? At the end of time, Jesus comes to return the, to, to, to take the church to heaven no? or into eternal life. Okay. And now he makes the abode in us as Shane's church. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, are, we are part of this house. Mm. Amen. Okay, so who does, who does the servant represent? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The servant of Abraham represents the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's cool. So the servant's name, we find out earlier in, in Genesis, you read Genesis, you find out it's, the oldest, it's Abraham's oldest servant. And his name is, I don't know how to pronounce it really, Eliezer of Eliezer, I'm Eliezer. not sure. Second. Eliezer. Eliezer. Which means, and get this, that servant's name is is what it means is God of help or helper the servant's name Abraham's servant's name is helper what does that make you think of the Holy Spirit John 14 verse 26 let's read this John 14 verse 26 says but the helper the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you, this is Jesus speaking, and John 15 verse 26, John 15 verse 26 says, When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. This blew my mind when I saw this. That Abraham's servant's name was, was Eliezer, which means Helper, and that's exactly what the Spirit is. Okay, so then who represents, who does Rebecca represent? One, one amazing thing too was that this servant of Abraham also brought many gifts. Oh, just yeah, like we're the getting Holy there. Spirit <laughs> is bringing us many gifts. Mm. It's amazing, right? Yeah, it is. We'll get there. Are you going to Yeah, you're jumping me ahead. Oh, <laughs> I thought. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so who does Rebecca represent? Who does Rebecca represent? If, if Abraham is the father, Isaac is the son Jesus, then Rebecca is? Us. Us. We are Rebecca in the story. The believers. The Holy Spirit is the servant, Abraham is the father, and Jesus is represented by Isaac. So we are Rebecca. The bride. The bride, yeah. We are the bride of Christ. And I know if you're a guy, you don't want to be a bride, but 
We are. We are the bride of Christ. Yeah. Okay. There's neither male nor female. Yeah. In heaven, when we get there, we're not going to be man or female. It's, it's all one. Amen. No, no genders. So the bride of Isaac was taken from Abraham's homeland in Mesopotamia. Okay. So I did some research to where this is. And Mesopotamia in, in later times was known as Babylon. No. What do you know about Babylon? Was it a good place or a bad place? place, bad place. It was a bad place. No? So, yeah. Like the world, yeah. Babylon represented the world. Um, the city of Abraham's brother, the city of Nahor. In Genesis 24 verse 10, Nahor was the brother of Abraham. The city of Nahor was located in Mesopotamia or Babylon, which represents the world, which represents the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. Okay. <laughs> Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, Ephesians 5 verse 8, You were formerly in darkness. Mm -hmm. This is talking to us, the believers. You were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Acts 26 verse 18 says, To open their eyes, this is talking about unbelievers, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Okay, so God's bride, we, the believers, is seen as coming out of Babylon, out of the kingdom of darkness, okay? to the city of God, to Mount Zion, which represents the kingdom of God. Okay. God's call to His bride is to come out of Babylon and to follow Him to the spiritual promised land. In Genesis 24, Rebekah leaves Babylon. She, she leaves the dark kingdom of darkness and she marries Isaac, marries Jesus, no? and departs to go back to the land that God promised Abraham. That's awesome. Um, Acts 26 verse 18 I think it's amazing that these people's lives depicts all of this it's a shadow of all of this and what's amazing I think is that even in detail like he put the wood on Isaac's shoulders yeah. I mean, you could have written the story without adding it yeah. like that. but even that is so significant yeah. and it was written so much many 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 years before it happened exactly Exactly. Outstanding. When he was in the sacrifice, the <coughs> sacrifice, he said, where's the lamb? When he said, God will supply. Yeah. Yeah. God will supply the lamb. That's a very good story. You should actually go read. We don't have time today, but go read. Uh, where is that? Abraham's faith is tested in, in Genesis 22. And then try and, try and see the same images. Okay. Read Genesis 22. And even the detail where Abraham says to his servant, Under no circumstances do you take my son to, to, to Babylon. Because Jesus, after he went to heaven, he didn't come back to earth yet. No? And just that detail of telling his, his servant, Under no circumstances will my son go back to to the world and this is equivalent of God saying that Jesus is not coming back to earth no? we are going to meet him in the air 
but we'll get there. We'll get there now. Yo, this is really awesome. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I find it really interesting. Free will, living yeah. according to. Yeah. Of course, they had connection with God, but still. Yeah. If Abraham didn't sacrifice Isaac, then that whole story would not have happened. But it shows you they were in tune with God. They were listening to Him, obeying Him. Um, okay, so earlier in Genesis, we have the story of how Abraham had to sacrifice Isaac. We just talked about it. The son God promised him. In Hebrews, this is now the beginning of the Bible. We read the story. We go to Hebrews in the New Testament. That's awesome, huh? Hebrews 11 says the fulfillment of that old story. No? Hebrews explains it. Hebrews 11 verse 17 that was written by people believe it's, um, it's Paul. But um, they never could really find an identification for the guy that wrote Hebrews. But it says in Hebrews 11 verse 17, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac. Hebrews 11:17. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son. Listen to those words. His only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. How cool is that? Isaac was Abraham's only son. Here in, in the King James, he said he was his only begotten son. Just wow. like it says in John 3.16. Yeah. For God has given his only begotten son. Yeah. Eh? Exactly. That's so awesome. Uh, this epistle has been written before the gospel did it, actually. The gospel who received the epistle from the gospel that is mm. uh, written afterwards. Yeah. <coughs> So the Apostle Paul, he wrote his letters, the epistles, um, Romans, Ephesians, Corinthians, Colossians, all of those things, all of those letters were actually written, like Philip says, before the Gospels was written. Okay, so that pointed to the crucifixion of Jesus. Now the story of the finding of a bride for Isaac follows after that, okay? You understand? So this is how the storyline then continues. So first, Abraham offers Isaac. It represents the crucifixion. Okay. Now, the Father sends the Holy Spirit. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, what happened? After Jesus died and rose again, what happened? He sent the Holy Spirit. No? It says, Abraham sends his servant. Acts 1 verse 4 says, Once... When he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm almost finished, guys. So, okay, so the Father sends the Holy Spirit, then the Son returns to heaven. That actually happened at the same time but the son returns and stays in heaven like we said earlier Abraham didn't want Isaac to go back to the world no? 
or to his homeland. Isaac was to never go back to Babylon. The bride comes to meet him. That's why Abraham sends the servant, the Holy Spirit, into the world. You understand? Um, the Spirit is sent into the world at Pentecost. Peter quoted Joel 2, verse 28 to 32, in Acts 2 when he explains to the crowds what just happened at Pentecost. So at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given, they were speaking in tongues, you remember. And then Paul said, these men aren't drunk as you think they are. Peter. Peter. Did, sorry, what did I now say? Paul. Peter said, these men aren't drunk. This all happened so that the prophecy in Joel will take place. No? It says in Joel, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Huh? And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days I will pour out my spirit. Okay. And then the well. The, 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 the well also has a lot of meaning. Okay. Uh, there's a different word, it's called a spring. So it's, it's water bubbling up from under the earth. Okay? Um, it represents the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And these are the scriptures that we're going to look at. Jesus says this to the Samaritan woman at the well. When I, when I read the well, I thought, Sure, Jesus spoke to a woman at the well. Rebecca and the Holy Spirit was at oh, no, Rebecca and the Holy Spirit. Rebecca and the servant was at a well. And I just had to make this connection. John 4 verse 10 says, If you only knew, John 4 verse 10, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to. So this is Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. No? You would ask me and I would give you living water. Verse 13 Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Talking about the water in the well, the physical water. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling stream within them, giving them eternal life. That's the Holy Spirit. Okay. John 7 verse 37 says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Uh, when he said living water, he was speaking of this spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. That's awesome. So, I just had to connect it there with that picture of the well. Okay, then the bride receives the Holy Spirit and becomes born again. How do we connect it to Rebecca? Rebecca invites the spirit into her, the servant into her home. Okay? Rebecca says, yes, my father has place. You can come and stay the night with us. And this is a spiritual picture of the Holy Spirit coming to live within us. Say again. Revelation 3.20 Behold, I stand in the door and knock. If yes. door, I will come and sup with him. Yeah. yeah. He went to the house. He invited Jesus to come in. Yeah. I almost, I 
Consider putting in that scripture, but <laughs> I, I, got a, I got another one. Yeah. It says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16, um, 1 Corinthians 3 16, do, no, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So, Rebecca inviting the servant is a spiritual picture of us inviting the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit coming to live within us. Okay. And then, what happens? Uh, the servant gives Rebecca a nose ring, or a different translation says it was a golden face ornament. They assume it was a, a nose ring. So, if you want to get a nose ring, it's okay. <laughs> Just a joke. Um, and bracelets. Né? What do you think that represents? It represents the gifts of the Spirit, but I would say it represents the seal of the Holy Spirit. Okay, He seals her. That the, the first thing that she did, that the Holy Spirit did, or the servant did, was to give her something. The first thing that we get is the seal of the Holy Spirit when we invite Him into our hearts. The Holy Spirit seals us. Okay. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22 Um says, and he has identified us as his own. This is God now, no? As his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. So that, that those bracelets and the nose ring was just the first gifts that she was about to receive. No? When she moved to, to marry um, Isaac, she had to go back with the Spirit to marry Isaac. That represents in the end times when we go to heaven. When we go into the kingdom of God, into, in the Spirit. Do you understand? Yes. And then we, we already have the, our full inheritance, but certain parts of it we can only experience then. Yeah. Because he had to go on a journey. Yeah. Like we are on the journey right now yeah. to get there. Awesome. Yeah. Mm. Um, there's a part of our heavenly inheritance that we have already, well, that we have already, but will only enjoy when we enter eternity. Okay. And then we also receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So the servant brings ten camels with him, loaded with gifts. Okay. And I believe this is referring to the the gifts of the Holy Spirit. No. And I'm not going to take time to go look at every gift of the Holy Spirit. But that is what that symbolizes. Those ten camels with the loaded with expensive gifts that, they, that, the Holy Spirit, that the servant brought with him is the Holy Spirit, bringing the gifts of the Spirit. Okay. And then finally, the bride meets the son at the second coming. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17 says, Then together with them, this is, you should actually read the whole part there, it's talking about when the resurrection happens, those who are dead before those who are still alive, they will meet the Lord in the air and then we will follow. Okay. It says, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17, Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Okay. So that just connects to Abraham saying, under no circumstances will my son go back to, to, to the world, back to Babylon. Okay. 
because we, the bride, goes to him, not him to us. Okay. The bride has to say yes, just like Rebecca. No? When is when Rebecca's mother and brother said, "Wait a minute, let let, let Rebecca stay here for ten more days." No? Then the, the the servant said, "No, don't don't keep me waiting. I want to go now." No? And then they said, "Let's ask Rebecca first. What does she say?" No? And if we keep in mind that we represent Rebecca, the believer, what do you think? Rebecca had to say yes. Okay, so God does not force us. Okay? That's so beautiful to me that God does not force us to be His bride. Okay, it is every person's free choice to believe and receive Him, and to be His bride. That's just awesome. But I believe it, it blessed you. So we look today at how Jesus used the scriptures. No? How Jesus used the Old Testament to point to himself. And we looked at the story of, of um, uh, Isaac, Rebecca and, and Abraham. But I want you to close your eyes as we close. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. You as Father loved Jesus, the Son, so much that you wanted to give Him a great inheritance and you wanted to provide Jesus with the bride. And your love for us is actually coming from your love for your Son because we are the bride that you present to Jesus. But what is so awesome, Lord, to me is that we choose whether we want to be your bride or not. So I just want to ask if there is anyone here this morning who has not received Jesus, who has not said, I believe, then please raise your hand. Okay, it looks like we are all saved here. That means, Lord, that we are your bride. And it is so beautiful what Isaac said to, to Rebecca when he saw her. Um, let me just get there again. Thank you, Lord, that we are your bride. You, we are your joy. And you, you enjoy us like a, like a husband enjoys his bride. You wanted to be one with us since the beginning. It says in Genesis 25, um, Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent and she became his wife. He loved her deeply and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. It's so awesome, Lord, to think that you love us deeply. You love us deeply. You sent us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. God in man. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us the seal of the Holy Spirit, that we will know that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you are always with us, and that you have equipped us with all the awesome gifts of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. We praise your name. 
we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.